uh, started to appear to people and, and let people know that death will not keep him down. Death will not keep him trapped. And the beautiful part in all of this is the story that he has for us. That no matter what we put our hope in, that no matter what we try to fill that void with, no matter what that thing is that we're constantly searching for, it can always go back to him and say, I'm right here. And, and the name that is given that we look at, that we can hold on to in this, in this piece is the, is the fact that God is a God of our salvation. And Micah 7, if you'll go there, Micah 7, 7 to 8, it reads this. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the, for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, or my, O oh my enemy. Though I fall, I will. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. See, in this passage that we get to read, we get to hear a lot about the fall of man and how man is turning from God. And if you go back and you read before 7 and Micah, you get to see how man was constantly turning from God and, and trying to find, put hope in other things. And then what happens is, is when we turn from God, we start putting our hope in other things and trying to gain more and more of this world and more and more of all this other stuff. And what happens is, is we turn from God and there becomes this void, this, this distance, this peace that is not meant to be there. And in the midst of this, this prophet, he comes back to this point of saying, listen, I don't care what's going on. I have a God that is my salvation and I will wait for him. I won't get ahead of him, I won't get a, a beyond him, but I will wait for him. And so when we look at the magnitude of what this name means, the God of my salvation, when we look at the weight of that and what that means to me, it comes back to this, this one piece, is that I have a God that doesn't want me stuck. I have a God that doesn't want me stuck. And here's what that means. Right now, many of us get stuck in this rut of life, and we get stuck with so many different things in life. We get stuck with our eyes set on something we feel is going to fill a void in our life, or that's something that is going to satisfy that peace that we think is going to make us happy. And I hear this a lot in life. It's interesting. I get to hear this a lot from people is, I'm looking for that one thing to make me happy. I'm waiting for that one thing to make me happy, to fill that peace. And what happens is I get stuck on that one thing that I think is going to make me happy, and I start pursuing it. And the problem with this is that happiness was never promised. Happiness was never promised. And yet we're stuck on this one thing that was never promised, and we want to know why when we get stuck on that one thing, we're so unhappy. And we're stuck there. Some of us, we think our, our, our joy or our, the main thing is, is my relationship with a spouse or with my children or whatever. So we focus all our attention on that relationship. And when that relationship goes south, we all of a sudden, we sit there and say, what's going on? What's wrong? Or we put it into work or we put it into whatever we're doing and we get in this piece where we just stay stuck over and over and over again. And yet I have a God that wants to pull me out of that. He doesn't want me stuck. The, the biggest thing that we get stuck in, the big one is this. We get stuck in shame. We get stuck in shame. 
This is this place where we go to because we've messed up. This place we go to when because we get we we go to this place because we make poor decisions, and, and or maybe stupid decisions, and we go and we and we allow the evil one. We allow Satan to tell us, "You're no good. You don't you don't deserve a relationship with God. You don't deserve you don't you, you, what He has for you is not real." Stay right here. Stay in this shame. Stay in this darkness. Stay here because that's where you are. And a lot of us, we live in that peace because we, we get caught up in this, this idea that, that I, I just can't do anything good or, or that there's, I'm no good and, and all of these things. And we just get caught up in this belief, this lie that we allow Satan to say is that it doesn't matter what you do, God will never love you. And so we stay there stuck. I got to meet with a guy this week, and he was telling me about his life, and he's telling me about a lot of things, and he was sharing with me, he's got this hero complex, and he's got to be all things to all people, and he's got to be the hero that comes and swoops in, and, and when he can't come in and swoop in and save things, then, then he starts to live with this, this, this peace in his life where he is stuck. And a lot of us, we, we, we have this belief that we're something that we're not, that we're not created to be. And we're stuck in that. We're stuck in this lie that says we need to be something that we're not, and we stay there. And yet my God of my salvation tells me I don't have to be stuck. That he's going to redeem me. He's going to rescue me. In Galatians 5.13 it says this. For you were called to freedom. Brethren only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. I love how in Galatians uh, Paul writes to them and he says listen. This is the reason why you were rescued. This is the reason why he set you. He came. It was to set you free. It wasn't, it wasn't to keep you in bondage. It wasn't to keep you stuck. He came for a reason to set us free. See, the God of my salvation came to rescue people. He came to bring us out, to redeem us. He came to rescue us from that place that we go and get stuck time and time again. He came to replace that lie we believe that keeps us in shame with the truth of his salvation and his love. And when we replace that lie with his truth, something amazing happens. And we can hold on to the fact that he is the God of my salvation. The second thing we, we read in this is that my God will rescue me no matter where I'm at, no matter what I've done, no matter how long I stay in that place of shame or that place of guilt or that place that or live in that lie. I know that I have a God that will rescue me. And we go back in Micah and he talked about this. He goes, I will wait for him. I will wait for him to rescue me. I will wait for him to come because he's the God of my salvation. And there's this piece in here where he, he talks about, uh, that he comes to and he points to the fact that I know my God will rescue me. And what does that look like for me? What does that look like for my life? It means this for me. It may look something totally different for you. The rescue piece for me is that when I do something wrong, that I can get forgiveness. When I sin, when I say something stupid, 
that I can ask for forgiveness and I, I, I receive it. It means this, that, that because of all the stupid things I've done in my life, all the mistakes I've made, all the things that times I've rebelled and done things my own way, because that's really what it comes down to, is the decision I make that says, you know what, God, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. And then I get stuck in that. And then I try to fix it over, and I try to do more good, and I try to do more and more of my own. And God's like, God, would you stop doing all this stuff? And just realize that I am your salvation. I'm it. I'm all you need. Stop trying to do more to make up for the stupid stuff you've done, Chad. You cannot do enough. And yet we pour more and more, and then we get stuck in this idea that I've got to do more and more. And yet because of his son Jesus coming down, I am rescued from that lie that says I've got to do more and replaced with the truth that it's already been done. That what he did was enough. So I know that my God will rescue me. In Colossians 1, 13 to 14, it reads this. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's, it's interesting how many times, like, we know things. Like, we have it up here in our head. Like, we know certain things in life. And I talk to people all the time who says, well, Chad, I, I know about Jesus. I know that he came. I know that he lived. I know that he died. And I know that I can get forgiven. I know that. But sometimes I don't believe it. And here's the problem where we get stuck in this. Is I may know it. But there's a difference between knowing it up here and believing it here. See, I may know it in my mind and I may, I may say, it's okay, I know that he did this. I know why we celebrate Easter. I know why all these things. But I have a hard time believing that he would save, that he would die for somebody like me. Do you know the magnitude of all the stupid things I've done in life? Do you know how many times I turn from him and do my own things and yet I hear this voice in my head and I hear, I read scripture that says, you know what? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when I believe that, when I start to put that in, I start to replace the lie that says I'm unforgivable with the truth that says I'm forgiven. I can come back to the, to the truth of, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So many times... We get stuck in this dark place in life. We beat ourselves up there, and we don't, have, we don't know the way out. We, we believe that I, there's no way out of this dark place, and it could be, it could be because of all this, the, the things that I do. And it could be just my mental state at the time, but I get stuck in this dark place. And what happens is, is when I get stuck in this dark place, I don't see very well. I don't see what's going on around me. I don't see what's happening. I, I don't, I'm not getting all the other things that are taking place. And so I get stuck in this dark place. And when I'm in that dark place, I have a hard time of believing it's truth. 
I have a hard time believing that I am his child and that he loves me and that he truly gave his life for me and I get stuck in this dark place and I start believing dark things. I start believing uh, lies about, about my life and I start believing lies that, the, that Satan wants to tell me and I get stuck there. And I have a God, the God of my salvation that came to rescue me, that came to pull me out of darkness and into his light. And see, when he pulls me out of this darkness and he starts, I start to see his truth. I start to see his truth and we get to walk that out and we get to see what that means to be, to, to hear his truth and to start believing his truth. I come out of this darkness and you know what, no matter, no, what doesn't matter anymore? What starts not to matter is the mistakes I've made. What starts not to matter is not being feeling like I'm good enough or I can't be good enough. Or does it, we, we, we come out of this and we start seeing the truth of who he is. And because he wants to rescue me and because he wants me to, to live in this light, I don't have to be in that darkness anymore. And Micah, he, says, he said this in the last, at, at verse 8, he goes, Though I, will, I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. See, it doesn't matter the circumstances in which we're living right now. It doesn't matter, like all this stuff that we're going, like, and it's important and, and it's going, it's right in our face. But what's important is that we have a God that wants to shine his light and show us that he is the light and he is the way out of it. That's what matters. And so many times I'll focus in on the stuff that doesn't matter rather than the one that does matter. I'll focus in on the darkness and all the shame that I'm dealing with and all the stuff that's going on in my life that keeps me trapped and keeps me stuck rather than the one that'll pull me out of it. Rather than the one that'll walk me out of it. Rather than the one that'll show me the way out. The Lord is a light for me. The third thing that the God of my salvation tells me is this. Is my God has a plan for me. He saved me for a reason. He has a plan for my life. Here's what I want you to do. On your piece of paper, your bulletin, just get it out and find a place to, to write. Find a place to write. And on one, on one side, I want you to draw a box. Take your card if you're not going to turn it in. This is what I want you to do. So draw a box. Got that two boxes with a gap in between. You good? Anybody see that? Sometimes I think everyone should have great eyesight like me. Two boxes. On the top of one box, I want you to write your name. Not like your name, but like your name. So like for me, I wrote Chad. Because I know some of you, I'm not going to name names, would put your name. On the other side, I want you to write God. Like this. You good?
See, he has a plan for your life just as much as he has a plan for my life. And we get caught up in what this plan should be. Like, what is it, the very thing he wants me to be doing? We get caught up in this so many times. We get caught up, well, does he want me to have a career here? Does he want me to have this? We're missing the ultimate plan that he has for us. We're missing the big plan. See, there's one important plan that he has for us that we miss so many times, and it's this. See, what happened in the very beginning was some guy named Adam um, did something stupid and rebelled against God and sin entered the world. And it came in and it created a need for us to be saved. And when sin came into the world, it was passed down generation to generation to generation. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. If you don't believe me, turn on the news sometime. And in the first 12 minutes, it'll tell you about every murder that happened in Cincinnati within the, the day. Sin keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and it's growing. If you don't believe me, just think about how we treat one another. We may be getting better but we're not there yet. So what happens is, is because of that sin, there became a divide between us and God. That's why there's a gap here. There's a divide. Now, a lot of times we say this. I'm going to try, and I'm going to try to get to God by being good enough. So I'm going to do my own thing and bring about my own salvation and take my own salvation into my own hands. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to strive to be good enough in life. So I'm going to treat people the right way. I'm not going to say any bad words to people or to, to, to in the car driving when someone ticks me off. Um, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do as much good as I can do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to coach as many sporting events with my kids that I possibly can. I'm going to stay busy as I'll get out and pouring and doing all these other things. And so my attempts to, to be good are fine and they're all well. But you know what? My attempts don't fill the gap. They, feel, they fall short every time. Because let's be honest, what happens when we get tired and frustrated? What's the first thing we do? We quit. Thank you, Dale. We quit. Or when we're trying to do good to somebody else and they frustrate us and they make us upset, then what do we do? We snap at them. Our goodness falls short. But God, the God of my salvation, had a plan. And here was his plan. He sent his son to die on a cross. And on this cross, Jesus died. And because of this cross, that cross comes down and it fills the gap between us and God. And it allows for us to have a relationship with our Father. Why? Because when He died, He shed His blood for us and His blood covered our sins, covered every wrong thing that we had. And because of what He did, not because of what we do, that gap is no longer. Now we're all at a crucial point here. Because I have a choice. I could stay here and I can say, you know what? 
I'm going to continue to try to do good, and I'm going to continue to try to rescue myself, and I'm going to continue to try to do what I have always been doing, which is I'm going to try and be good enough. And what I, I hear a lot of times is, you know what? If God doesn't want to take me, that's on him. Guys, it doesn't have to be that way. What I can choose to do is because of what Jesus did, I can choose to just walk over and accept Jesus, receive his salvation, and then come over here with God and spend eternity with him. That is what Easter is all about. The plan that he has is for us to accept what Jesus did, to receive forgiveness of our sins, to believe that he came and died for me so that I can have a relationship with the Father. The rescue part in all of this, the God of my salvation, how he came to rescue me, was to rescue me from my own shortcomings. All the things that I try to do good and I continue to fall short in. He rescued me. He says, you don't have to do that. But what he does say is, because I did this, you now are free to love people the way I've called you to love them. You are now free to do what I've called you to do. And that's the plan that he has is for us to receive his salvation and then to love him and to love others. That's it. Guys, if you choose to do something with your career, you choose, man, that's great, go do it, love it. But how are you loving him and loving God and all of it? We don't have to get caught up in all this stuff because this plan was simple. How are you going to respond to what I did on the cross? Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Listen. The reason why we keep going over the cliff and falling short is because our salvation is not based on what we do. Our salvation is based on what he did. And when he says that he is the God of our salvation, that means he has a plan and he fulfilled that plan by sending his son Jesus to die for us. And his plan is for us to receive that salvation, to believe in it to respond to it. He goes on and says, for we are his workmanship. Now I want you to understand this, that the plan that he has for us is that we are his workmanship, that he has created us, that he has made us, he has molded us. See, all the things that we struggle with, all the things that we stay stuck in, all that stuff that we go through, the struggle, the everyday struggle, the shame, all that stuff he uses to mold us. That's what he, it's his tools to mold us into what he wants us to be, his workmanship. Much like a stone guy goes out and he, he starts chiseling away at the stone and he walks away with this beautiful statue of what this is supposed to be. He, he, that's his workmanship. That's who we are to him. And so we look at all the struggle and all the suffering and all this other stuff that we walk through and stop looking at it as bad and start saying, you know what? God's teaching me something through this. And it's okay. It's all right. The relationship struggles, the sickness, the, all the other stuff that we deal with, he's using to make us into who he wants us to be because we are his workmanship. 
Are you ready? This is the next, this is the most, like this is where it comes in for the plan. We receive his salvation. We realize that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which he, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Do you realize the good that he wants you to do was prepared even before you came into existence? The things he wants you to do came, it was prepared for you before you came into existence. He has a plan for you. Your job is to walk it out. So how do we do this? What do we, how do we respond to a God that provided for our salvation? I want to read you a, a passage in, in John, excuse me, Luke 8, to th- 1 to 3. And it reads this. Soon afterwards, he began going around, and this is Jesus, from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, his disciples were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanne, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others were, who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Here's what I want you to get out of this. There was a woman named Mary Magdalene who was stuck. She was in bondage and she was stuck. And Jesus came along and he provided for her salvation. He got her unstuck. And he, and he rescued her from what she was, the, the entrapment that she was under. And so the, the question becomes is, okay, now that I know that I have a God that, that has a plan for me, I have a God that doesn't want me stuck, and I have a God that will rescue me in the midst of my stuff, what do I do now? What do I do? Because there's got to be some response that I do. And my response is this, I will start trusting him for my salvation. I'll start trusting him and I'll walk across and I'll receive the salvation that he has, number one. And just like and we looked at this story of what Mary did, Mary Magdalene, as she was released, what did she do? She started following Jesus. She came unstuck from this, the oppression that she was under and she started following Jesus. So once we start trusting him for my salvation, the second thing I do is I start trusting him as I take steps of faith. I start following him. I start doing what he's asked me to do. I start living, I start doing those good works that he has prepared for me. And the third thing is this, I start trusting him in every circumstance. No matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on in this world, I start trusting him in every circumstance. And it looks like this, rather than looking for how somebody else is going to fix my problems, I start looking at my God and how much he loves me. I start trusting him in the midst of all the struggles. I start trusting him in the midst of everything, in every circumstance, and I come back over and over again to the God of my salvation. And I lock eyes with him. And I start following him and trusting him. In Matthew 28, one to nine, it says this, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, And just so you know, uh, Jesus had died three days earlier. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now remember who Mary Magdalene is, right? She's the one that got rescued. She's the one that got freed. She's the one that got unstuck. 
stuck. She's the one that followed Jesus. She's the one that, that started trusting him with everything. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I, know that you are looking, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. In verse 6, it says this, he is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. We have a risen Savior. The God of my salvation has provided salvation for my life and just like he got Mary Magdalene unstuck and she followed him and trusted him and put her faith in him and did exactly what she was supposed to do in following Jesus and she goes back to see to take care of the body to go back and and mourn the weeping of the loss of Jesus you know what she finds she finds a risen savior she finds that the tomb is empty that he isn't in there anymore and because of that, we can realize that when I trust him for my own salvation, that I have a living God that is still alive and still active in my life. He's not distant. He doesn't sit back and sit there and say, you know what, do what you want. No, he's active in my life. He provides for me. He provides healing when I need it. He's the God, the healer. He provides God, the provider. God Almighty, His strength is unmatched. That's who our God is. And He brought, His Son came out of the grave, out of the tomb. And in this story, we get to see how a woman who was stuck, a person who was stuck, received salvation and was rescued from what she was stuck in. And when she was rescued from what she was stuck in, she had a life like no other. And she was able to trust Jesus and able to put her trust in him and follow him every day of her life. And the amazing part about all this is the same thing that was true for Mary Magdalene is true for us today. We have a God that wants to rescue us from what we're stuck in wherever you're stuck. He is the God of your salvation and he wants to rescue you. The question is this, will you continue to try to provide for your own salvation or will you start trusting him for the salvation he's already provided for? Let's pray. Father God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in all things, Lord. We thank you that you are the God of our salvation. 
that you are the God who came and rescued us. That in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of everything I stay stuck in, in the midst of everything, Lord, all the lies that I believe about me and about my life, Lord, that you are a God that gave his life, gave his son for us. Lord, that your plan was for us just to have a relationship with you. That was it. You've called us into relationship with you, and Lord, you provided the way for it to happen. Not based on what I can do, not based on what any individual can do. It's based solely based on what Jesus did. And Lord, as, as we celebrate the fact that he rose from the dead, that he's no longer there. And sometimes as hard as that is to fathom and how hard as that is to understand, one, how a God would give his son for us when we don't deserve it. When we make so many mistakes and we turn from you, Lord. Yet in your ultimate wisdom and power, Lord, you knew what we needed. You knew that we needed to be rescued. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you that he's risen. Thank you that he's alive. Lord, I pray, Father, for our hearts to be open to receive what you have for us. And Lord, if, if, if we're in a place right now of just needing that salvation, of needing to accept what you did on the cross and believe that you provided a way for us, Lord, that we would receive that salvation today, that we would start trusting you and believing you for that salvation. Lord, maybe there's people in here today, Lord, that we've received that salvation and we're still stuck. And Lord, what we need to realize today is, Lord, that you created us, that you're molding us, that we are your workmanship. Lord, that you are creating us and making us and molding us into who you want us to be so that we can carry out the good works that you prepared beforehand. So, Lord, it doesn't matter where we're at in all of this, Lord. You, Whether we need to receive the salvation that you have or we need to walk out the salvation that you've given us. Lord, reveal to us how we should respond. Lord, help us to see how to trust you day in and day out in every circumstance. Thank you, Father, for being the God of our salvation loves us and saves us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. One way for us to respond is just by uh, coming and partaking in communion.